Spirit has already moved in this place this morning. Lord, when we make space for you, you fill it. So as we continue to make that space and worship you in the word, fill us. Lord, what we cannot see, show us. What we do not yet know, teach us. What we lack, give us. And oh Lord, by the power of your spirit, what we are not yet, make us. Conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his beautiful name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please stand for the reading of the word of God. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. John 10, 11 to 18. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know. You go ahead and have a seat. Sorry. So last week, Jesus told us that the thief comes to still kill and destroy. Oh, I forgot the video again. We're behind. We'll skip it. Um, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then, he said, and then he said, but I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. Have abundant life. Like that is, that is where Jesus last left us. And, and, and I loved how we prayed. Um, like even during our prayer time, we talked about um, like the world is... Guys, honestly, the, I, I can't remember who it was towards the end of our prayer time. Oh, I think it was Mark prayed at the end. Um, the world, guys, we are in an identity crisis. Right? We are, but we've always been. Like in the garden, that's how Satan came to Adam and Eve. He was, he was trying to get them to question their identity. And he says, you know, if you would just eat this fruit, you'll be like God. And, and if they would have lived consistent with their identity, they would have looked at him and they would have said, we are like him. We're made in his image. But guys, what we see happening in our world now with the, with the re-genderfication of, of society um, is just a part of that problem. There's nothing new under the sun. It just keeps escalating and escalating. But what we want as Christians is we want our identity to be informed and transformed by his identity. So what we're looking at in these seven I am's of who Christ claimed to be is we're, is we're going around our little circle here and we're talking about the seven statements where he said, I am, I am the great I am is where we're going to end up, Lord willing. But, but it's, we want to be able to say, okay, because, first week we talked about, because he is the bread of life, 
I am eternally satisfied. Right? Because he is the light of the world, I can be a light in the dark places. Last week we looked at because he is the door, I have dual citizenship. I'm living as a ki- in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of this world at the same time. And today we're going to look at how he is the good shepherd. And because he is the good shepherd, we are people commanded and equipped by God to help people hear his voice. So before we even get to our passage in John, I just want to stop for a second. And it was such a sweet time of prayer. I love how just like today was so different than last Sunday and so different because it's not us planning it. It's just us leaving space for the spirit to move. And so I just want to take a minute We need to tune our ears to the voice of our shepherd. And your first talking points, it's on the back of the little note sheet. It talks about read Psalm 23, which is one of your daily readings this week. It'll come out tomorrow. But I'm going to take the time, and we're going to turn there now. And I turn in your Bibles to, to Psalm 23. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will give you one. Um, look on with a neighbor, something. But I want you to do something for me, because as we talk about training people to teach God's truth here at Cross Train, one of the things I want you to get good at is handling the word. I mean, like, like not just spiritually and, and theologically, but actually physically. And so we are going to be in several places in the word today going back and forth. I'm going to let the word of God speak commentary over the word of God, and I'm going to speak less, my own commentary. But I want you to mark Psalm 23 up in your Bible. So here's what I mean by that. So I'm just going to read through this. We're not going to take the time to pray through it, but I want to encourage you this week to pray through Psalm 23. It's one of the, it's one of the things that I rotate praying through um, every, like, um, so I probably do it twice a week because I have like three or four of them that I rotate through every morning as part of my prayer time. So when he says here, but we're just gonna, I'm just going to read through it and kind of point out some things that will help you focus your prayer time as you pray this week. So when he says in Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He's talking about how, like, my attention is now focused on who he is. Remember, one of the the definitions that I love the most about worship is, worship is any time we turn our mind's attention and heart's affection on him, praising him for who he is and what he's done. The Lord is is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 2, he makes, so write down the word attention there next to verse 1. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. David is saying he gives me time to reflect on who he is. So write the word reflection down. Every time I read that verse, I have this picture of this mountain lake with this giant mountain behind it, and the mountain lake perfectly reflects the mountain that stands behind it when it's calm. But the minute it gets a ripple, that image is marred. If, If we would spend more time with soul restoration and calm waters, we would better reflect our Savior who stands behind us. The rest of verse 3 says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He's giving us direction. Guys, we we saw that this morning. Like, I mean, Tom didn't, I mean, like, 
what Sean talked about, how Tom didn't know what they, the song they were going to sing, and, and obviously we didn't know that Brian was going to come here. And all. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit. Is, he is not some far-off God who just spun this thing up and went, good luck with that, people. Like, he actually is interacting in this space with us as we speak, like literally. And we're seeing evidences of that. And so that, that's the second half of verse 3 is David saying, he gives us direction. He leads his path. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's speaking of God's protection, even with the rod and the staff. Because sometimes the thing we have to be protected from is us. And then we'll keep going. He says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I love how, how many times, like, like how personal and rich verse 5 is. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. He's saying God has selected me. And we're going to see that today. It speaks of God's selection. Like you are precious in the sight of God. And in the last verse, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I wrote down the word perfection. Right? If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, if we keep looking up at, what, at the glory that is, that is coming, right? He's, we will see more of his goodness and mercy pursuing us even here and now. So last week we finished up in John 10, 10 with the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. The next verse, verse 11, where we're picking it up today is I am the good shepherd and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So here's the question we're asking today. How can you help lead others to hear the voice of your good shepherd? So turn to John chapter 10 and we're going to pick it up in, our, in verse 11, and we're going to see three things in this, in this passage, and we're going to move through them hopefully fairly quickly, and, and Jesus is going to answer how can we help others hear the voice of him, the good shepherd, one, by showing them the good shepherd who is modeled giving everything, right, so that we could lead others into eternal life. And so let's take a look at our first point. How do we lead others to hear the voice of our shepherd. One is by showing them the shepherd. So look at verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. This is obviously Jesus speaking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. Guys, I, my only commentary on this is I am not the good shepherd. Right? I, I, some of you, I, I love how from the very beginning of, of this church 10 years ago, we've always endeavored to be a team of leaders, elders and deacons and and we and we try to share the teaching and we have other voices like speaking even during our Sunday gatherings because because guys I this is not my church and I do not want to be worshiped 
If you come here because of me, you're coming for the wrong reason. And I mean that with everything in me. Why? Because I will let you down. I just will. And so will your old pastor. And so will the celebrity pastor that your friends are watching on TV instead of going to church anymore. And so will the fallen pastors that we see and, 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 and people use as an excuse to stop gathering as God's people. But guys, there is a shepherd who will not let you down. So turn, if you would, keep your finger in John, turn, if you would, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is to the left of where we are. You're going to go back through all the small prophets. You're going to get, so you're going to go past Daniel, past Ezekiel. You're going to get to Jeremiah, and we're going to pick it up in Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah lived around 600 B.C., before Christ. He was the prophet in Jerusalem as Jerusalem was crumbling being attacked by the Babylonians, and he says this in Jeremiah 23, verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Guys, if you're a leader in the church or you want to be, this passage ought to keep you up at night. It does me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you. For your evil deeds declares the Lord. Then I, but guess, but they, now here's God's response. So he's saying, he's saying, earthly shepherds have their struggles, but so look what he does. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. So he's saying, in after Christ comes, these shepherds that are spirit-filled shepherds will hopefully will have the heart of my son. And he says, and they shall fear no more. They shall not be dismayed. Neither shall they be missing, declares the Lord. Now get this. So, so, so you cannot fully trust me. You cannot fully trust your elders, your deacons, your other leaders. Because we're just broken people also. But look at what he says in verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will raise up. For David, a righteous branch, he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Obviously, he's speaking about Jesus. So he's saying, guys, I'm going to fix the shepherd problem once for all because I am going to come down and be the shepherd. Look at your second talking points question. The second talking points question says this. Do you know how precious you are? I'm going to read Isaiah 43 real quick for you, um, in case you, um, just because it's, it's such a precious promise. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says this, But now, thus says the Lord, someone quoted this, I think, during our prayer time. Thus says the Lord, O Jacob, who has formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Because that's his promise. You are, because I, he, when I was a God-mocking atheist, shaking my fist at him, he reached down from heaven and said, Doug, you're mine. Whether you know it or not, brother, you are mine. That's who our God is. That's who you are. That's your identity in Christ. Now look at, look at the rest of it. It says, that's how he sees you. He owns you. He loves you. You are precious to him. So here's what I want you to do, and I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to do it with whoever you're sitting with. I want you to come up with some ways that God has shown this to you. But guys, here's what I, just to keep it 
fairly quick and, and, and edifying. Don't make, they don't have to be big giant things. Like this is how God you know, healed me or what. It could be small things, but make them specific things. Like when I go around and start asking for input, I don't want to hear, he showed me that he loves me. I know he loves you. Right? Show me how. Ready? Go. Okay, um, just in the interest of time this morning, we're gonna, um, I'm just going to ask for a few, uh, um, a couple of um, answers, I guess. Um, so make them really good ones, because we're only going to have time for a couple of them, so I'm just kidding. Just, um, so, the question is, how has he shown himself to be a loving shepherd? I'm asking. He rode with you daily on that eight-week trip. Awesome, and provided, and yeah, I know that was quite a story, so it's good. What else? My wife, oh, good, give it up for Mark, yeah, you just, you just scored massive points, I know, I know, it's okay, good, well played, Mark, well played, what else, and all the husbands are turning around going, you too, honey, too late, he stole it, Adam, Giving, if you're, as I said, giving me the ability to say praise God in the midst of the trial and the struggle. Yeah, that is a supernatural thing. And, and when we can point back to that as evidences of his grace in our life, we're giving him even more glory. All right, good. One more. When he heals your heart and makes you whole and you didn't think that was possible. Yeah, there's guys, there's nobody too far gone for the grace of Jesus, right? There just isn't, right? Everybody is redeemable, everybody, because that's not because of them, but because of him. Okay, so the first, so the thing we're looking at is how, how can we, how can you be used to help others hear the good shepherd, right? The first thing is just show them who the good shepherd is. The good shepherd isn't you, it's not, it's not their friend, it's, it's him, Show them. Show them him. And the second thing is, show that he is willing to give everything. That he modeled for us giving everything, and we should too. So look at verse 16 for our second point. And I have other sheep that are not of the fold. I just need to stop there for a second and say, this is not talking about aliens. 
But, but I, I only half joke about that because when I was an unbeliever, one of the things that people tell you that are believers that are trying to engage you in, in Christianity is they tell you to read the gospel of John. So I would get to John 10 and I would see this and I, and I was big into sci-fi anyway, so it just fit right in. I'm like, yes, yeah, see, look, the Bible doesn't talk anything about aliens, but Jesus said there were aliens right here. Well, first of all, let me say that if there are aliens, it does nothing to negate the truth of God's word. It is not out of the realm of the possibility that on some planet, somewhere else in the universe, God chose to tell his story to them. It doesn't stop anything about the truth of the story he's telling to us. But second of all, he's not talking about aliens. He's talking about Gentiles. Jesus is speaking to the, there were the, the Jewish people, and he's saying these other people are going to be all of the other nations of the world. Guys, Keep your finger here, turn to the right now, to the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 5. Got to read it, too good not to. Here we go, Revelation 5, starting in verse, this is Revelation, as you know, by the time you get to this part of Revelation, because we've taught through it, it's, it's starting to unfold the tribulation of the world. But there's little moments of respite, of rest, by the grace of God given in Revelation. One of them is Revelation chapter 5 where God stops showing John all the bad things that are happening on earth, and he gives him a glimpse of heaven. And he says, so here it is. So he says this, starting in verse 1. Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered. So he can open the scroll in its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it were slain. With seven horns and seven eyes, there were seven spirits of God sent into the, all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living, four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Prayers, prayers of the saints. Right over here. That's what, that's what they're laying down, dumping out. It says, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people from God, from every, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the throne, around the throne, the, the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying, I, mean, I just can't even imagine, but someday we will, 
saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Guys, that's worship. Right? That's what we ought to look like as we're singing here on Sundays. Guys, all of that, all that, but, but here's how does that relate to us today? All that we see there, all that we have going on in our lives here is opportunity to practice that worship. Right? Worship isn't just the music that we're singing on Sundays. It certainly can look powerful, but worship is your, the rest of your 166 hours of the week. Anytime, anywhere you are turning your mind's attention and heart's affection on him, praising him for who he is, just for who he is. That's what they were doing, praising Jesus for who he is, that he is the one who was slain and purchased with his blood people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and made them by his blood priests and kings. That's worth of them. If you didn't know that, worth of them. Okay, so how does that relate to us? Well, guys, if he gave his life away, are you willing to give yours? So let's go back to John. So go back to where we were in John 10. And let's look at the last couple of verses of this section. It says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Isn't that interesting? Because for this reason, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I was willing to give my life away. That I might take it up again also. He says, no one takes it from me. Guys, don't you remember? We've talked about this many times here. Do not fall into some trap that Jesus was just a nice teacher that fell into some conspiracy to have him killed he walked willingly to jerusalem knowing exactly what was going to happen to them or to him and we'll see that here in just a minute he says i have the authority to lay i have the authority to lay it down and i have the authority to take it up again this authority was given to me by my father guys what this shows us is that jesus was a missionary he had a missionary heart he was on, all that means is you're on mission he was on mission for who? He was on mission for God. And what was the mission? To redeem back that which had been lost at the rebellion. But guys, he has given that mission to us. Right? We are the body of Christ now. That isn't just some saying we use as, as some euphemism for the church. It's literally we are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we need to be about the business of the mission. And that is seeing the, the unsaved, the as yet unredeemed, redeemed into the kingdom of God. If for no other reason than because when that happens, he'll come back. So look at your last talking points question. And this is do it your own, like you can do this however you like. Um, there were cards put in your bulletins, the three by five cards, they were put in your bulletins. 
Um, there are, we've put extra ones now. We've got them hanging on the sides of our prayer wall with, with um, pens and the little clips and stuff. But here's what I want you to do. And we're not, you can do it during our communion time that we're going to go into in just a minute. Um, you could do it later. You can even, if you want to, you can just write them down and hang on to them. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down the names of two to three people that you will commit to praying for and engaging with during this holiday season that are not yet saved. Just, I want you to write their names down. And, and the idea of putting them on the wall is simply to commit it to the Lord. But if you want to hang on to them in your Bible and so that you can remember who they are, that's okay too. But I want to encourage you to, to get this done. Because we have got to be about the mission he is on. He, you say, yeah, but Doug, I'm so busy. Because that's a huge part of why we don't engage with people, just busyness of life, whether it be at the store or the coffee shop or just having people over for dinner. Well, that goes back to the point. So what part of our lives are we not willing to give away to make space for the mission? I mean, if you are literally so busy that you don't have an hour out of your day to engage with somebody for the sake of the gospel, you're too busy. And I'm guessing that if we looked at your day planner, there's a whole lot of discretionary spending going on. I'm guilty of it too, but we have got, time is short, eternity's long, hell is still hot, and Jesus still saves. We just got to tell people about him. Okay, so we're going to go to our last point with this. So how can we lead others into hearing from their shepherd? First, we show them the good shepherd who modeled laying down his life for the sheep so that we can lead others into eternal life. So we're going to pick it up with our... With um, verses, we're going to jump down to verse 22 and finish it up in verse 30 to 31. Lead others, leading others into eternal life. Look at what he says. At the feast of dedication, as the feast of at, I'm sorry, at, the, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. That's, that's just John's way of moving the story forward because the feast of dedication was the feast of lights, which is what we call Hanukkah. When do they celebrate Hanukkah? December. Do you remember when we talked um, a couple weeks ago in, in or it was, maybe it was last, I guess it was last week actually, in John chapter 8, it was talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. That's in October. So this is just John's way of saying two months has passed. Jesus has been hanging out in Jerusalem for about two months. At any one of those times, he could have left if he didn't want to get crucified. He stayed there because he knew where he needed to go. It says, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. He was making himself very public. So the Jews gathered around him. Guys, in the Greek, that, that word, that, the phrase there for gathered around him actually means closed in on him. This was not a whole bunch of people going, I can't wait to hear what he has to say now. This was people surrounding him with vicious intent. And look at what they say. They say, how long will you keep us in suspense? Again, that word actually, or the, the phrase in the Greek actually conveys this idea of how long will you hold our souls captive? Like they were in agony over what Jesus was teaching and they're saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They're saying, if you're the Messiah, tell us. Now look at what he says. And you're probably already thinking this. Jesus answered them, I told you. And then he says, and you do not believe the works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Here's what he's saying. 
They're going, if you're, if you're the Messiah, tell us. And he's like, guys, not only have I told, I, I have told you, and I've shown you. I told you and I showed you, and you chose not to believe. Guys, this is not, an, this is not them wanting more information. Like, the reason they don't believe isn't because they just don't know enough about Christ yet. And, and I share that because that's where a lot of the unbelieving world is. That's where I was for such a long time. As God was leading me in this journey of five, six, seven years before I actually bent my knee to the call of the gospel, it was because I'm like, well, I, I kept making this excuse of, well, I just don't know enough. I need to study some more religions. I need to know more about this. I, guys, you'll never get to that place, and neither will the people that you know that are not believers that you're engaging with. They will never get to a place where their knowledge will lead them to Christ. Right, you don't, they, we're not going to reason someone into the kingdom. Doesn't mean we don't need to have good answers. Doesn't mean apologetics isn't important. It just means this is not a, he's saying, I have been teaching you for three years. I have done miracle after miracle. And you guys still don't believe. So let's not kid ourselves or let the people that we're engaging with kid themselves into believing that somehow if I just saw something, I would actually believe. No, you wouldn't. They didn't either. Then he says this. You do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. I'm going to read that part again. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Guys, that's eternal security. Write that down in your Bible. Eternal security. Guys, you did nothing to be saved. You can do nothing to become unsaved. He's saying, if you are mine, it's because you are my sheep. You hear my voice. God has placed you in my hand, and nothing can take it from me. He says it right here. Now get this, this last part, and we're going to wrap things up with this. He says, my father has given them to me. My father who has given them to me, he's greater than I. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. Why? Guys, why is that true? Because when were you saved? It's a question that we've been wrestling through even in our leadership. It's like just this idea of like how do we help people share their stories. Here's when you were saved. Somewhere between before the foundation of the world and when you cried out Jesus is Lord. Somewhere between those two moments, you were saved. Why? Because when were you chosen in him? Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world. Right? How does that work? I have no idea. I don't. I just rest in the reality that, man, that's where my security is found. Because he said before the foundation of the world, you are mine. You are mine. Now look at what happens. This last verse we're going to talk about today. The Jews picked up stones to, again to stone him. Stones again. So not the first experience he's had with this little moment. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Guys, understand, they knew exactly what he was claiming. They keep saying, oh, we don't know who you are. We don't know what you're... They knew the only reason they would have a right to stone him is for blasphemy. Because they understood exactly what he meant. He was claiming to be God. And they're like, we're going to kill him for it. They knew who he was. 
They just rejected it. Why? Because the spiritual eyes of their heart had been darkened by the God of this world who is keeping them in these moments, keeping the world in these moments from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel that is Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4. That's what happened here. So here's the question. Do you know who he is? Do you have people in your life who don't know who he is, who God could use to show him who he is. I'm sorry, to show them who he is. Guys, I, I did a, a, a memorial yesterday. Oh, There's probably 30, 35 people there. I'm going to guess almost, not a, almost none of them were, were saved. Right? And, I, and I preached the gospel. I mean, I'm like, I'm just going to, I don't care. It's our house. We get to do what we want. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, one of the things I told them is the same thing I'll tell you. Because there are people sitting in this room right now that are not believers. I don't know who they are. I'm just saying that's the truth. Right? I cannot convince you into the kingdom of God. I can't, I can't reason you into the kingdom. Guys, I can't convict you into the kingdom. I can't guilt you into humbling yourself before Christ. I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher because I don't believe that scaring people to Jesus is the way to go. As scary as hell is. I can't convince you. I can't convict you. Guys, I, I just, I can't. Only the Holy Spirit can redeem you. But we, as believers... We, you, me, not, that's not my job, just because I'm called pastor. Our job, together and individually, is to be used by the Holy Spirit to show people the beauty of Christ. How do we do that? By looking more like him, by acting more like him, by sounding more like him. Do you speak words of life and grace and encouragement over the people in your life? By smelling more like him. We are the sweet aroma of Christ in every place. And sometimes you walk into a room and people vomit because they don't like his smell. And we had a little of that going on here yesterday. And then we had other people that embraced it because they smelled the sweet aroma of Christ. And and it was sweet to them. Not by my doing or even by our doing, but by the Holy Spirit's doing. But you know what we did show those people yesterday? We... We showed the people the body of Christ. Guys, the body of Christ was glorified yesterday through the service of people in this body. And they saw Jesus in a really tangible way. Now what happens from that is between them and the Lord. But we did our part. Guys, our job is to stay tuned to the voice of our shepherd so that we can lead people up to the door so they can see the light and taste the bread. Right? That's the key. We are beggars telling other beggars who the bread is. That's it. That's our job. As the couples come up and the music team comes up to lead us into our time of communion, we're going to